welcome to the Yams and Yuka podcast, where we explore the fabric of black identities through culture, food, art, life experiences, and more, sharing the stories of international creatives. I'm Kamara. Hi, everyone. I'm Heather, and we're your co-hosts. Thank you to everyone who is joining us for the first time today, and welcome back to those of you who've been with us at the virtual table. I'd like to introduce our dinner guest for today. We featured a special interview with myself previously. Today, we switched the tables, and this time we have our co-host, Heather Benson. You may already know a little bit about Heather, but let me share some further information about her. Heather Benson is a dance artist, producer, and lecturer that has worked within the USA, UK, and beyond. Heather, an Atlanta Georgian native, received a BFA in dance from the Florida State University and an MA in Culture Policy and Management from City University in London, UK. She is a former company member of Dallas Black Dance Theatre, Urban Bushwomen and Philodenko. Now residing in London, Heather serves as a Horton Technique lecturer within various institutions and programmes, including Artistry Youth Dance and University of Roehampton. Heather continues to perform as part of Coleman Collective from New York City and Blake Arts Ensemble in London. In addition to her performance and teaching experience, she supports individuals and organisations as a project manager, strategic consultant and creative producer. Heather's portfolio includes One Dance UK, British Council, Kalma Arts, Dixon MBI and more. Welcome to the table, Heather. So lovely to have you here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. It is always strange to hear your stuff read out. <laughs> I know, but there's a lot going on there. Is there nothing that you don't do, Heather, really, is the question. Mind you, there are a few things actually missing from that. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like uh, we'll talk about it probably later. But yeah, I feel like I've had so many different positions and roles that I've played within the arts and outside of that as well. It adds to the richness of yourself, I think. So it's exciting. So we're going to get into it, Heather. We're going to learn more about you. You know, I know that I only know a fraction and I am looking forward to learning a bit more. So let's get started with, you know, let's take it back a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let's wind it back. And first of all, if you could share with our listeners a significant memory growing up that shaped who you are today? Yeah. You know, we came up with this question together and <laughs> being on the other side of it, I'm like, that's, that's a strong question. <laughs> that is a very strong question. And actually I can't really, obviously you can't really like pull it down to, to one moment. I actually wrote down a few that, um, that really stick out to me at this point, I guess, where I am in life. The first one is I experienced loss at a very young age. Um, I lost my brother when I was, uh, seven or eight years old and he was my younger brother. Wow. Everyone knows that I have a brother now, William, that's the one that most people know, but I had, we had a brother in between us and that like to this day still affects me and really shapes who I am in the sense that I, I deal with loss quite different. Well, not differently. I'm sure there's some other people out there who deal with it um, similar to me, but I deal with it in a very complicated way, but also it causes me to really appreciate the people in my life and the things that I have and the experiences that I have. So I feel like that's really, really something that has always and will continue to shape me personally. And then I think artistically, uh, there are two moments that really come to mind. 
the first one was my freshman year of high school. So that's age like 14. Well, I was 13 because I was a year ahead of myself, but 14 for most people. And my cousin, who was one of my early mentors, she took me to the National Dance High School Festival. It was being held in Philly that year. And there is a big performance. Like you go, you take classes from all of these different universities and there's some professional companies that are there as well. And one of those professional companies was Philodenko. And when I went to this high school dance festival, uh, this was my first time seeing Philodenko. They were one of the featured companies that was in the big performance. And they performed our signature piece, which is Enemy Behind the Gates. And when I saw that piece, I was just, I was like, who is this company? That was the moment I knew I was going to be a professional dance artist. As soon as I saw them, I was like, who are they? I need to do this. I'd already been dancing for so long, many years by that time. But I was like, this is what I want to do. And then, and there's a full circle moment with that. I would say probably, what was that? I think maybe nine years later. I ended up performing on that same stage with Philodenko, performing a piece by the same choreographer, Christopher Huggins. Wow. So when I got to that moment, yeah, where I was in the company and had that full circle moment, we weren't performing at the National Dance High School Festival. I don't, I can't remember what we were performing at. Or maybe we were. I can't remember because there was a whole bunch of different companies from Philly and other places that were part of that performance. But to have that full circle moment, it really like hit me in the chest. Like this is what I was meant to be doing. I just felt so solid as an artist, as a person, as a human, like to have that experience. But before I even got to that full circle moment, kind of the other significant memory I have was I spent a summer um, in this program called the Governor's Honors Program or GHP. And it was something in the state of Georgia where you know, there's a huge selection process. You have to apply similar to like applying for college and you go in, you select a major and you have a minor. And I went in as a dance major and I was actually an architecture minor because I thought I was going to be an architect. Wow. It's not too late. You've got lots of things on your um, bio. So, you know, I'm sure you can add something else on there, Heather. Oh, listen, it's coming because (laughs) I'll tell you when I got there, it was an amazing experience because we were at Valdosta State university and we were there as the full college life experience so this was going into my junior year um i was about 15 so junior year is like your third year of high school so it was just before i was going into my third year of high school or probably college going right before i would go to college in the uk kind of education system and yeah i got to have like a on-campus experience you know you had your dorms you had your friends not everyone was a dance major. Everyone had their own major. So people were going there for music, for theater, for so many different things. Like I said, math, science, like you could have been whatever, you know, it really was to kind of simulate the college experience. And it was great. That's when I really knew like, you know, this is what I want from my education. I definitely want to do that kind of solidify again, me wanting to be a professional artist. But when I was in that architecture class and I got to the grid of it, because I had done some things in like my art classes in my high school studies. I did three-dimensional art, two-dimensional art, everything to do with art. I was involved in it. I was also in the choir. I started a step team, like everything performing arts. I did it performing in visual arts, so I say. And so I really thought I was going to be like building bridges. That was the thing I really wanted to do was to design 
bridges. I wanted to be an architect for sure. So I get into this class, you know, as a minor and like we start to get to the grid of it. And, you know, I had done similar things like building bridges and buildings from toothpicks. I had done that before in my art classes. But then we got to the software part where you have to actually like learn the mechanics of like drawing blueprints and all this stuff and the science and the math of it. And I was just like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> Enough, this is for me I like the design yeah. you know the creative part <laughs> the science and math maybe not so much so that was kind of like a, a turning I would say like a somewhat of a turning point in deciding okay for sure we're doing this dance thing like this is gonna be my career the architecture side you might have to come back to that in another <laughs> lifetime because this is not the one <laughs> it's hard I can totally relate to that because I wanted to study PE actually you know the sports mm. the body I thought you know I yeah. love the body let's do it and then when I got to uni you had to do physics and biology and chemistry I was like right. what <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> Well, I did the same thing again. When I went to Florida State, I thought I was going to be a double major. I thought I was going to have, I kind of shifted after that GHP experience to, okay, let's focus on what I'm good at, organization, working in business, because I had been um, working as a manager for my grandmother's uh, medical practice since I was very, very young. I'm not going to say how young, because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But I uh, had that work experience from a very young age. And so I was like, okay, you're organized. You like kind of running things, leading things. So let's do a business major. So I thought at Florida State, I was going to have a dance major and a business major. And I started off freshman year taking my business classes, micro and macroeconomics. And that... <laughs> Microeconomics, I was like, mm, nope. <laughs> it's not for me. <laughs> it's something else. It's like another language. It is. I think, again, I had the same experience economics and accounting. Just like, what is this all about? Yeah. <laughs> not for me. It's not it. <laughs> Those are some incredible memories, especially um, having to deal with loss at such a young age and then yeah. the dance experiences that were really perhaps even like a prediction of your future, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's really incredible that you got to experience that. You mentioned a few things that are definitely significant and they may have even been turning points, but is there one that you would describe as a turning point experience that changed the way you identified yourself in the world? Yes, absolutely. So when I was in university at Florida State, and I was, you know, in the thick of it. I've been at Florida State for two years, had two more years to go. And I thought I was going to go down one path with my artistry or my professional career. And my cousin, Dawn Axum, actually, who was, again, the person who inspired me to apply to GHP and have that experience and who took me to that national dance festival. She told me, like, she was still mentoring me as I was going through university and she was like you know what you should really try to if you can while you're in undergrad go abroad study abroad so you can see some more perspectives and see what you really want to do you might end up somewhere else in the world and want to perform there and I mean I took it seriously she hadn't steered me wrong so I ended up spending a summer in Italy again right before my junior year what is it about that two years in two years ago, you know, I tried to do something different. And I went to Italy for a summer. I did this program called Pro Danza Italia. And it's an intensive. You get there and you're dancing sun up to sun down. You know, you culminate the whole experience with a performance. And so we had 
different styles that we were learning. We had jazz, we had contemporary, we learned Katak and what else? We had hip hop. So we had like Italian B-boys coming in to teach us, you know, hip hop styles and yeah. And then we got to create our own work. The students got to create their own work. And then we had our big, you know, all the professional teachers who were there, they did their own choreography and we ended up performing like in this outdoor theater space, this old like theater space, which was incredible. Just the experience of getting to Italy and trying to get to my accommodation was a turning point. Wow. This is my first time traveling by myself to another country. I had been to other countries, you know, with friends and with my family, but this is my first time traveling by myself Mm -hmm. to another country where I don't know the language. You know, I tried to buy all these learn Italian, you know, these books to help me learn some basic phrases to get around. And then when I got in that taxi and realized I had no idea where my accommodation was going to be, didn't even have the address, couldn't reach the lady who was like running the program. And I'm in the taxi, can't use my phone because this is before like, you know, this is back in the day we talked about this where you had to get your phone card. I didn't even have my phone card yet. <laughs> so yeah. I'm sitting in this taxi with this book trying to figure out some basic Italian words to give this guy directions to take me to this house. And I was just like, okay, girl, like pull up the bootstraps. This is like, this is the challenge. But the experience of living abroad, learning new cultures, being, you know, people who were in the program, there were majority Americans, but there were also people from around Europe. So people from Italy, people from Amsterdam and the rest of Holland and other places. And so it was just that meeting of the cultures. I was like, oh, I can do this. Like I really enjoyed this summer abroad and I want to live in Europe or live somewhere abroad for a year. And then fast forward, that's how I got here. I was like, I'm going to do it. Like at some point I'm going to live somewhere and have that international experience. And actually from that time I was like I'm gonna be an international star I didn't know what that meant but I was just like that's what I'm gonna be (laughs) yeah that's amazing because we always hear statistics of just even Americans in general that who don't have a passport you know that Mm -hmm. there are a large majority who don't have a passport and I imagine for African Americans it's maybe even lower yeah yeah you know even more people who don't have a passport so to have that experience to go to Europe is incredible yeah really great something that must have been unforgettable I can imagine absolutely it definitely was unforgettable and even just like learning different techniques that was my first time taking katak I mean obviously Mm -hmm. I had done jazz I had done contemporary I had done ballet um I had done hip-hop but to learn something that that was my first time, you know what I mean? Learning something other than like the traditional dance things that we in America knew to be what you learn in, in dance. I was like, oh, there's so much more out there. Do you know what I mean? Than just what mm-hmm. I've, I've already experienced. So yeah, it just made me want to continue to learn and grow and experience more and challenge myself and to embed myself in other cultures. That's incredible. So that means, you know, you've, you've been to international places. You, you grew up in Atlanta, you lived in Philadelphia. Now you're in London, where you have been for some time. So where is home for you? Home for me will always be Atlanta. And you have to say Atlanta, no T. Like, okay. I, you know what I mean? Everyone's like, Atlanta? No, Atlanta. There's, there are no T's. <laughs> for those of you who need to know. All right. Okay. All right. Let me try that again. Um, so you grew up in Atlanta. 
Mm -mm, too many teeth. Atlanta. Atlanta. There you go. <laughs> okay. I'm being educated today. All right. Thank you, Heather. Atlanta. I'm going to have to practice that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. You're doing all right. My daughter, Avery, she already knows how to say it properly. Because I'm like, girl, you're not going to go back home. Talking about some Atlanta. No, girl. Never. <laughs> Should we banished? Banished? No, <laughs> you can't come in. I'm so sorry. Exactly. <laughs> They'll spot you from a mile away. <laughs> so, when you do go back home, then what's your favorite food from home? And do you have an experience or a special memory with that food? Yes. So, Atlanta is in the South in the States. Those of you who don't know, it's in Georgia in the South. And it's all about the Southern soul food, Southern comfort. Like that is a real thing. Mm. That's something I really missed about being at home in the South. It's just like, even when I moved up to Philly, the food in Philly was great, but different demeanor of people. Like the people in Philly, they, you know, they, they're rough, they're hard. There's brotherly love, but it comes a little bit different than Southern comfort. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. Southern hospitality, like Southern hospitality is really real you feel it in the food you feel it in the way like strangers will just talk to you like how you doing today you doing all right okay all right you'll have a whole conversation <laughs> with a stranger they'll be your family your cousin your home girl and then you leave and it's like like it's nothing whereas you know other places I haven't really found that I mean other places in the south are like that but I haven't really found that anywhere else in the world mm -hmm. quite like that feeling so soul food because you can feel all that southern hospitality in the food it sticks to the stomach it makes you just feel warm and good and I mean that's partly why our name is yams and yuca because those yams mm -hmm. they are everything and so I don't have like one specific wait did you did you ask me about food? I did. I don't <laughs> I did ask you about food. I said, what is your favorite food? But obviously that conjured up such a memory that it just yes. took you away. <laughs> just took you away, Heather. Always. <laughs> and you can hear it. Like when I started to talk about I could hear it. Home, I could hear it. You're gone. <laughs> You're gone. You're gone somewhere else. But it sounded like a good journey. But that's okay. We can come back. <laughs> I did. Even when I was like thinking about this question, I was just like thinking about all those memories at home with, you know, family and dinners. Like we treated like any occasion would call for some soul food. It's like a regular Sunday, like even the movie, how they get together every Sunday at the table and they have this full spread. That's really what it is. And for me, it's all about the sides. I like my collard greens, my mac and cheese, my cornbread, my candy gams. And those of you who've been to my house and you know, like if you've been to any occasion, that's what I cook. I always got the collard greens, the mac and cheese, the candy gifts, and the cornbread because those are my favorite. I can't pick one. It's like the combination of all that together, the juices from the collard greens getting into the mac and cheese, into the mm. cornbread, the sweetness from the candy yams. And when I mean sweet, I mean sweet, sweet, sweet. Like I've adapted mine to be a little bit more savory mm -hmm. to accommodate, you know, the British palate because, you know, in the States, we'll put a whole pound of sugar in some candy yams. Wow. Like, you know what I mean? That was the old way. But and some people still do it, but I don't. I try to make a, a little blend of a little savory, but the combination of all that together, that's yeah, that's it. That's it. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So my second question was, do you have an experience or special memory with all of that food? 
I do. Well, specifically, I would say with mac and cheese because I learned how to cook mac and cheese from my best friend, Sakara. And to this day, I still use like the same method. And I think about her every time that I make it. And now it, it has an even more like special memory to me. I guess it's kind of like a thread of memories because now anytime I make mac and cheese, Avery wants to make it with me and it's her favorite. At some point during this the lockdown, I think the first lockdown, I was making mac and cheese every single week. And those of you who know how to make it, I say the real way, but those of you who know how to make it the Southern way, <laughs> you know that it's a it's a labor of love to make mac and cheese like that. You got to get it right. You got to get all your cheeses. I personally, I like to shred my own blocks of cheese. I don't like to get the pre-shredded or any, I like to shred my own and I pick a blend. You know, my blend has changed over the years. But yeah, it's a method. It's an experience. And and that's the thing about soul food. Like when you make it, none of this stuff, like the things that I listed, you can't cook these things in like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like that's not what it is. Each of one of those dishes, apart from the cornbread, but even, well, no, I've mastered the cornbread. I can get the cornbread done pretty quick. And this is not like Jiffy Box cornbread. This is like cornbread from scratch. But each one of those things, like you have to make it with love. You got to make it with your soul. It's an artistry in itself. You know what I mean? If you mm-hmm. make it right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, teaching teaching Avery for sure. Those like, I'm, you know, continuing that thread of, of memories, teaching her how to make it and letting her do it with me. So yeah. Mm, that's nice. So we look forward to that featuring in our cookbook that we've been talking about so much, even yeah. though I know with cooking, it's probably doesn't have measurements. So no, you're gonna have to, you gotta, yeah, you're gonna have to, so you're gonna have to work that out for the cookbook, okay, <laughs> Heather, so that we can we can have a chance of um, mastering those foods. It sounds delicious. Yeah, mac and yeah. cheese gets left to my sister. I don't, I don't even know how to make it. So yeah, yeah. I'll have to wait for your recipe. So okay yeah we'll have to make it one day yeah we'll get together we'll do that have a little dinner you get to taste everything mm-hmm. yeah yeah for the, soon for the yams and yuka live version we can do that exactly <laughs> so you're now in the uk you're now in london mm-hmm. and uh what do you wish you knew about the uk before moving here so many things but really nothing at all i don't know i like to take on Like I said, same thing with my first experience abroad. I like to take things on as they come. But I think one of the things I would have wanted to know is that it wouldn't be as easy for me to perform on a regular basis as I was accustomed to. Mm -hmm. I've always had a home in a sense or like a dance home in a sense, no matter where I've lived or no matter where I've gone, it's been quite easy for me to perform and sometimes performing with multiple companies or groups at the same time. And I just did not find that easy here. Like when I came to London, it wasn't hard to like find dance, you know, but, you know, taking classes and stuff like that. And I was asking people, okay, so where are the black companies? Like where are the dance companies that we, where we go? Like, where's our home? Where's that, what's the thing? And it just isn't really here like that. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's quite in their own little bubbles and sometimes we come together but not that as often as I was accustomed to and it wasn't like you could just walk into a company and be like let me take class and let me perform mm-hmm. do you know what I mean yeah. like this even even the audition process was quite different than I was accustomed to yeah yeah how is the audition process different well the whole thing of like you have to fill out an application and Maybe you'll get selected to come in once they see your CV and then maybe 
you won't even be in like a regular audit. You'll be in like a cattle call audition. But like, if you really want to be in the audition or saw after, like you have to have an agent to really get to those things. And like, mm -hmm. I know that exists like in, you know, in the musical theater world, in the spaces on Broadway and stuff like that. But like, even once I had left Philodenko, I just started doing random auditions. And yes, you have a, not really an application process. You have to send in your CV. But for the most part, like, you can go to an audition if you want to go. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not such a selective process. It just didn't feel like, in the States, it just didn't feel like I had so many barriers. Whereas here, I just felt like, well, this is a lot. I got to fill out a whole, like, three, four-page application just to get to the audition? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I might not even be selected if I fill in that application. Yeah. I just wasn't expecting that. And then again, I think just the sense of, the community of black dance isn't the same mm -hmm. as I experienced back home, back home, it's family. And I don't know if it's because I grew up into it, you know, that I started from the very beginning and then, you know, I grew up in the family because I was always there. I don't know if it's just that, but I have to say that it's not because I've, you know, going back home to our conference, the IABD conference, which is one of the biggest international black conferences in the States, when people from the UK go with us to that conference, they get the same feeling. They're like, oh my God, everybody's family. And they feel accepted into the family, even though they're, you know, even though they're from abroad, they still get accepted into that family. So I know it has something to do with how we welcome and hold each other mm -hmm. back home. Yeah. yeah. It's just a different culture. Yeah. Well, now, you know, you've done your performing and you've added so many more titles to your repertoire, I would say, project manager, strategic consultant, creative producer, and soon-to-be architect. Um, <laughs> so you played a number of roles within dance and performing arts. Which yeah. do you enjoy the most and why? Yeah, and you're actually missing a few roles. So I am always a performer and artist first. That's how I started. I became a teacher from the, well, I was a teacher's assistant from the age of like seven or eight, but I was an actual teacher, had my own class from age 13. And then a choreographer, I guess, you know, people say, yes, you're a choreographer, but I never really hold that position. You need to hold that too. I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need a little bit more conviction from you, Heather, but we'll work on that. That's fine. We'll stick with the yeah, we'll former teacher, project manager, strategic consultant, and creative producer for now, and choreographer. <laughs> we'll settle into that. Yeah, we'll work on that. Carry on, carry on. I'll carry on, yeah. But before I kind of like really uh, homed into like my project manager role, I was actually a um, fundraiser. That's what I really started out as in fundraising and development. And it's really tough. It is really, really hard. That's a hard thing to do. And I still do fundraising and development, but I do it from more of a consultancy position. But that's how I started. And then even in my role at One Dance UK, with my project manager role, I became a writer. And I've actually always been a writer from back in the day. I mean, I started writing poetry, nothing published because I just wouldn't share anything, but um, actually publishing stuff. Well, no, I did get stuff published if we count the school magazines. <laughs> we count it all. We count it all. <laughs> but yeah, I really got into writing a lot more at One Dance UK for our digital magazine, um, Hotfoot Online. And then that inspired me to really hone into what we are doing now, podcasting, telling stories. So I guess storyteller is really what should be in there. I'm a storyteller. I'll take that 
over choreographer. I'll put the choreography as part of the storytelling that mm-hmm. I do. Let's do that. Yeah, that works. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, and so out of all of those, what's my favorite? I guess storytelling really is my favorite. And I try to put that into everything that I do, even with my project management. And the angle that I come from is like, we're not doing anything that has nothing to do with the story. Even how I manage things is like, what purpose does this serve in creating the narrative and the objective that we hope to create and portray and put out there? So storytelling, that's my favorite role. I like that title. That's nice. Yeah. Because, yeah, it does weave into every aspect, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm. So now that you've had the chance to experience all those different variations of storytelling, mm-hmm. what would you say success means to you? Success for me right now is freedom, balance, and being able to thrive and grow. That's success. If you're in a space where you have all of those things, then you're being successful. Mm, that's nice. Especially the part about being able to thrive and grow. That's mm-hmm. important. Yeah. So would you say now that you know what your purpose is? Yes and no. I feel like I'm always on a, a path to figuring that out. When someone asked me about, well, I don't know if anyone asked me about this specifically, but I had a conversation with another podcast in early days before we got here. And they asked me about teaching. And I've been doing it for such a long time. I didn't even ask for it. So like when I became a teacher's assistant, it came to me, like my director, Dewana Bell, she was just like, hey, do you want to help me with the little babies? I think you'll be really good at being a teacher's assistant. I was like, sure. And so I did it. And that was like, I was literally like seven or eight years old. And even still, like when I got my first class by myself, I didn't ask for these things. They were given to me. And even now, like the amount of teaching that I do now, I never imagined I would be doing that much. Like when I got to London, I've taught in so many places and I can't get away from it, even when I try to. Like I got to a point where I was teaching so many places, I was being overwhelmed and again, not having balance. And so I was like, I have to cut some things back. Like what purpose is this serving for me? Do you know what I mean? And how am I best putting my gifts out there? And I paired everything back. I will say I will never get rid of Artistry Youth because that's the one place where I just feel like I can really feel my impact and my purpose. I hope not. Oh, no. Yeah, always. I always feel my purpose and my impact with those dancers because I can see how it benefits the young dancers and I can see how it's changing them. And even when they push back, when they're in, you know, within the company, you know, they leave and they come back, they never leave us. They go off and then they, they always come right back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're just like, thank you. And, you know, they're really appreciative of the programs that you have and the things that you do for them. Yeah. So, yeah, I do feel like teaching in some way is my purpose because it just, I can't escape it. Mm-hmm. I really cannot. At this point, I'm not trying to fight it. I'm just trying to make sure anywhere that I teach or anywhere that I'm in that position that I'm really making a difference. And you definitely are making a difference. And, you know, I'm grateful to have you at Artistry Youth Dance for sure. Um, So, yeah, you can't ever leave. So, yeah. Oh, I'm not. That's done. (laughs) That's decided. Um, In case you ever, you know, think otherwise. But, yeah, it's not happening right now. (laughs) 
what have you learned about yourself? You know, you've done a lot of teaching. What have you learned about yourself, especially seeing as you said it wasn't something that you planned? I've learned that I'm a very determined and goal-driven person. If I see something, I'm going to go after it. And almost just like, well, I used to do it with reckless abandonment in some ways and like really boldly. And I remember when I, um, when I first said, this is when I was in Philodenko and this was probably like going into my fourth year. So going into my, what would end up being my last year with Philodenko. I just walked into the building and started coming into her house and be like, yeah, I'm moving to London. I'm moving to London. And everybody would just be looking at me like, girl, what? Like, you're crazy. <laughs> like they just, you know, they're just like, what is this? Where did this come from? Some people doubted it. You can't do it. You know, you know what I mean? And I knew why I wanted to do it. I was ready, but not fully like, you know, looking back at it, I understand that decision a lot more. But in the moment I was just like, yep, I'm ready to go. Let's go. I was determined. I was driven. I got here and it's going on almost, you know, it's been six years. It'll be seven years in September that I've been here. So obviously a good decision. <laughs> I've also learned that I'm quite fortunate to be able to do the things that I'm passionate about. And I've actually only come to learn that or come to appreciate that and really understand that probably in the last like year or two, because I've always had this passion and this drive. I mean, like I said, from that moment in high school at the dance festival where I was just like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. And I went from there guns blazing you know, anytime someone asked me, what are you going to do? What do you want to be? I was like, I'm a professional dancer. I'm going to be a professional dancer. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be in Philodenko. And I was. So I've always had that passion, that drive. I've always made decisions about what I choose to do and how I choose to work or who I choose to work with, leading with my passion for dance, for the arts and for supporting all of that work and that artistry that people bring to the industry and to the sector. But I would say I did take for granted for quite some time the ability to do that and the ability to have a career and a life and to be able to support myself with that passion and still be able to do that even through, I would say, I, I think I came to appreciate it even more in the last year because of the pandemic and realizing that, you know, people were losing their jobs, people aren't having to take up jobs that have nothing to do with maybe their original skill sets or what they would want to do, but they're having to do that to survive. And the fact that I've been able to continue even in this last year and still push through doing what I love. And don't get me wrong, there have been moments where I've had to do stuff that's not like 100% passion driven, but at least still adjacent, passion adjacent. But yeah, to be able to really fully do that and have a career, I've come to really appreciate that in the last year. Mm. And so now that you know everything that you know, uh, what advice would you give your younger self? Uh, to be present. Uh, I know when I was younger, I was always anxious to get to the next thing, to get to the next job, to get to the next point in life. I see it in my child. <laughs> She's always talking about, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to be this, or I'm going to do this. Um, and I'm just like, Yes, Avery, but be four, be four years old, please. <laughs> so I would, um, I would tell myself to be present a lot more. I was not to say I wasn't present at all because I definitely felt those moments, but I feel like I may have missed out on a lot more 
on the feeling and the essence and the being of a lot of moments back then. So, yeah. And I can recognize that because we even had a moment yesterday in AYD 100, just sitting there and watching the dancers and listening to their questions and just seeing the change and the impact of that program, AYD 100, on those dancers. I was really just aware and a lot more present of what was happening and the shifting and the shaping of those young dancers in the moment. And I don't take those for granted. I don't take those moments for granted. So, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we do just rush through, don't we? Mm -hmm. Just go from one thing to the next. Mm -hmm. That is a great reminder to be present. So we've spoken about your past. We've we've had a a chat about what, what you're working on now or what your work does now. What is your vision for yourself in the future, either personal or professional? I think it changes for me. I think the specifics change for me as far as what my vision would be. And sometimes from day to day, <laughs> definitely from year to year, because I'm a quite reflective person and I like to make sure I'm shaping and uh, I guess storytelling the way that I really want to. But I think overall, my vision is to continue to provide creative and collaborative experiences, to continue supporting other people to create their best art, their best artistry, the best versions of themselves. I have like achievements that I hope to get, but I'm getting in the habit of not defining myself based on what I've achieved. And I just want to make sure I'm just continuing to, I guess, walk in my purpose to continue providing spaces for people. Yeah. To continue supporting others. And you said it's changed over the years because you're a reflective. I imagine has it changed again, you know, given the year that we've had? Yes, listen, it's changed in the last like six weeks of this 2021. <laughs> I left I left out of 2020 with a certain vision and then <laughs> we came to 2021. I was like, wait a minute, girl, <laughs> let's rearrange because <laughs> things just came at me fast. You know what I mean? Like I had a very busy like last half of 2020, I would say. And then I kind of just got smacked in the face with a lot of things and loss again, actually. Yeah, back-to-back losses uh, right at the beginning of this year. So it's kind of like shifted my mindset of like, okay, what are we really trying to do here, girl? What's the impact that we're trying to have? Uh, what's the legacy we're trying to leave? And what are we doing all of this for? Like, And it's, again, taking me back to like, okay, be present, experience. You know what you enjoy doing, what you want to do. And just as the opportunities come, as the vision reshapes itself, as things become more clear for what my actual purpose is supposed to be, listen for that. I know that I spent a good portion, like if I think about before I even moved to London, I spent a majority of my life just planning everything to the T and saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this. And then when I left and moved here, I was like, you know what, let's have a rough plan, but like, let's just enjoy the journey. Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah that's nice enjoy the journey Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what are you working on now as I said read redirecting defining myself (laughs) yeah that's what I'm working on right now I mean actual things I'm like revamping my website I am working on building a platform or some sort of program to continue to provide creative and collaborative spaces it is somewhat of a um not my life's work, but it's something that I, a passion project that I've had on the back burner for quite some time. So watch this space it is coming. 
I'm just trying to really figure out how is, does it best serve artists? How does it best serve the sector? And how does it make the best impact? So redefining myself right now is really what I'm working on. Okay, that's important to do yeah. every now and again, I would say. So, uh, Heather, we have nearly come to the end of our conversation, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But you know that we have a special surprise question for all of our guests, which, of course, will not be a surprise for you. A surprise. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome to add surprise if you like. <laughs> but otherwise, here it is. Which do you prefer, yams or yuca, and how do you like them cooked? I mean, what do you think I prefer, girl? I feel like it's going to be candied yams. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) But just give me some more information and maybe just break down that recipe just in a little bit more detail. I mean, I'm not going to give away all my secrets, but, you know, candied yams, you want to make sure they're like... They have a very nice sweet taste to them. You want to make sure you have a nice amount of like syrup and sauce that is in that bowl with it. Me personally, I like to boil them for a little bit first so they get a little tender and soft, but not too long to where they get mushy. And then you put them in the oven and then you bake them so they get a nice little crisp edge and brown. And then you got all the the spices and the sugar and the syrup and the butter all mixed in there. And I'll throw a few herbs in there. I'm not going to tell you which ones, but I'm going to throw a few herbs in there to give it that little savory taste. A little secret ingredients as well. You'd be like, mm, what was that I just tasted? Mm. <laughs> Do that. Yeah. You guys will have to come come on down to a little event, to a little cookout so you can experience the candy gams. And then, of course, like I said, you got to have them with I can really put them with anything but I typically have my candy gams with collard greens mac and cheese cornbread if it's Thanksgiving we'll have a little dressing not stuffing it's dressing (laughs) in the south (laughs) is it the same thing though or is it similar Um, no it's similar so what's the difference with dressing is it has a cornbread base so you got to make right. the cornbread first, break it down, and then mix it in with what people usually buy from the store, the little sage and onion stuffing mix. You mix that in with the cornbread, and you add in some of your other ingredients and your seasonings, and it gives it a nice, thick consistency, and it's, it just melts in your mouth if it's made the right way. And then you, again, like I said, you get the juice from the collard greens that kind of seep into there. It's just a whole experience. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Oh, that has to be on there. Yeah. That sounds good. Um, you sound like you went, you had another little moment there. I did. <laughs> I was like, oh. I love my soul food. I was like, where's Heather? But it's all right. It's all right. I totally understand. It sounds delicious. <laughs> so how can listeners learn more about you and your work, Heather, please? Sure. Yes, you can find me on all of the socials. If you are on Instagram, it's at Dancing Starburst. So that's dancing without the G, S T A R B U R S T. And on, I don't really use Twitter and Facebook, so you can go there if you wish, but really Instagram, that's there. And then my website is actually being revamped right now. So it should be updated in the next like couple weeks but www.heatherstarbenson.com you can see a little bit more about me yeah nice well um i'm sure our listeners will get onto that website we look forward to seeing your updated version to see and hear more about you and your work and all the fantastic things that you do 
Mm-hmm. Well, that is it for today for our conversation, Heather. We won't yeah. be having a sweet and savoury moment, but that doesn't mean that you, our listeners, can't share yours with us. So let us know what your sweet and savoury moments were using the hashtag yams and yuca that's right don't forget to tag us at yams and yuca on twitter and at yams and yuca podcast on instagram and facebook alternatively you can email us at yams and yuca podcast at gmail.com again that is yams and yuca podcast at gmail.com yes we want to hear your thoughts on today's conversation let's keep the discussion going feel free to share your stories as well to add to our yams and yuca tapestry We'd like to thank you for listening and we will chat with you guys again next time. Bye. Bye.